In 2006, a documentary called Shark Water became the largest selling Canadian documentary of any kind. It had the biggest opening weekend of any Canadian documentary before it. It was made by uh, Rob Stewart, an activist, photographer, documentarian, uh, and Canadian guy from Toronto, someone who uh, cared deeply about sharks and the way that we perceive sharks. Uh, This was uh, not so much a story, but a call to action uh, against shark finning. If you don't know what finning is, we'll explain it a bit more in depth with my guests uh, as we we get into this interview. But essentially, the idea is that uh, Sharks were being hunted, fished for their fins, the fins removed, and then the live sharks just dumped back into the ocean to die. Uh, It was a shocking and eye-opening documentary uh, that won all sorts of awards all over the place and made Rob Stewart a star. The third film, Sharkwater Extinction, opens this weekend, and we are very lucky to have in the studio three friends of Rob Stewart's uh, who worked on the film. Brock Cahill is here, the founder of Sea Change. He's a cinematic activist and preservation tactician. I have no idea what either of those things mean, so we're going to get to that uh, shortly. Uh, Reggie Domingo is here, executive director and founder of the Knockaway Project. Mm-hmm. and a conservationist and a filmmaker. And Julie Anderson is here, and she's the founder of Shark Angels. Uh, before we get into the conversation, uh, I want to play a little bit of tape, and we'll play in each of the segments here, a bit of tape of Rob Stewart when he was in studio here before shark water extinction had begun, before the shooting had started. Uh, he was in here talking about it. When we made our first film, Shark Water, the whole issue was shark fin soup and the consumption yep. of this dish in Asia, and we were killing 100 million sharks a year. Now legislation has changed. Shark finning is banned throughout most of the world, and you have to land shark bodies attached to their fins. But that created industries out of the bodies, and now people are processing shark bodies into all sorts of things. In North America and Europe, it's being renamed flake and rock salmon and whitefish, so we don't know we're eating shark. And shark livers are being processed into many of our high-end and big-name cosmetics. It's in lipstick and eyeliner and moisturizer. And is this the kind of thing, like, years ago, uh, they used to say, like, you know, if you're eating tuna, chances are good you're eating, actually eating dolphin. Where do they just rename something to make it more palatable for, you know, the, the mass market? They do rename it, yeah, because e- eating a shark is a radically different thing than eating a fish. You know, right. sharks predate the dinosaurs by 200 million years. They were here before there were trees. They can live to be 170 years old. They take, you know, sometimes 40 years to reach sexual maturity. They'll have a few pups where a fish will have 10,000 eggs. Right. You know, so it's a radically different thing eating a shark. And I think the, the general perception of the public, particularly now... <laughs> is maybe we shouldn't be eating, you know, the oldest, longest-lasting, most important predator the planet has. That was documentarian Rob Stewart. Uh, He passed away in January of 2017 while making Sharkwater Extinction. That's the film uh, that we're here to talk to, but he left behind a legacy. And I want to start by asking each of you, and Reggie, I'll start with you, uh, how Rob Stewart influenced you. Because I know I've read uh, a little bit about how he inspired you, and I'd like to hear it in your own words. Well, first of all, um, Rob changed my life. Uh, I've seen his first film, Shark Water, um, in 2010. And straight after, I wanted to go to Cocos Island to help park rangers removing long lines. And I did it. And that was only the starting point or the beginning of my journey because I'm, I'm still all over the world trying to understand what's going on. 
But of course, he changed my life with the film and he changed my life after meeting him and being able to understand that my hero was a human and it was a human that was inspiring other humans such as me. And yeah, it was life changing. It's a person that it's really unique and his film is It Was Too and his films are really, really, really different and inspiring for people that really wants uh, to do actions and that really want to create a change. Julie? Yeah, it, uh, it'll sound very similar to Reggie's and I think that's what we realize talking to people is, is that Rob has changed so many lives. I screened Sharkwater in New York City and within four days I was up in Toronto with a notebook full of information <laughs> about how I was going to work with Rob to save sharks and that's what Rob was is he was just such an incredibly special human being and he just made you believe that you could change the world and you wanted to do anything you could to get on board with Rob and since Sharkwater I've you know been to dozens of countries two different movies three nonprofits, uh, <laughs> several different campaigns Fin-free. Um, shark fin is an illegal substance now for 150 million people, thanks to Rob Stewart. And 12 million miles of the ocean are protected for sharks. So he just, he had the ability to bring about change. And I think that was what was so special about him. Brock, you have to go last. I know. It's a, but tell me, what did you think? Well, Richard, hearing his voice just now, it's like he's in the room with us. And well, this was now. it was recorded in this room, and it does. There, there's something about the room tone here. It does. It feels like he's right here. Yeah, it was it was very special to hear that and to be situated in this room with him. And in hearing his voice, you can hear what a special voice it was, and what a call to action that the timbre in his voice carried along with it. And uh, I first met Rob right after Sharkwater came out back in the days. I saw his image on the cover of a yoga magazine, of all things, in Los Angeles, California. I was a yoga teacher by trade at that point, and uh, I saw this dude freediving with sharks, and I was like, uh, what? Yes, that looks really cool. Who is this guy? Find out it's Rob Stewart. And then his movie came out shortly after that, and I had a chance to, to see it and to see this kid in action. And he was just such an inspiring character, for lack of a better way of saying it. He was like a, a superhero from a comic book, but it was a real deal, you know? And this dude, like, walked out, wouldn't take no for an answer, and was just going to save sharks, and that's all there was to it. So me being a, a guy in Los Angeles, I just immediately called him and was like, hey, can I help? <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah, who are you? Uh, oh, well, <laughs> hi, I'm Brock. Forgot right. to mention that part. <laughs> and I'm taking a yoga retreat to Mexico next week to go swimming with whale sharks. Would you like to go? And he's like, uh, hell yes. So we got in, in the water that, that time. That was our first meeting and our first trip together, and we spent a lot of time underwater the next decade after that. When Shark, shark Water came out, I hosted a, a number of Q&As with him when the, when the movie first, first came out, and, and nobody had seen it. Nobody really knew that much about it. And you could tell, I think we did three, maybe it was two, but I, we certainly did more than one of them. And the first one was a packed audience, and they really responded to the message. The second one, though, once people had had a chance to see the film, the audience was different. The audience was charged in a way uh, that they hadn't been the first time because they hadn't seen the film yet. We introduced it and then showed them the film. We probably should have done it the other way around, let people have a look at it first and then ask them questions. But in the second Q&A that we did, people were excited. 
that he was there. Mm-hmm. He just had that kind of effect on people. Really did. And that film, Sharkwater, his movie impacted audiences in a different way than any documentary had previously or has since. It really charged people up to say, what can I do about this? And it was the same response that the girls gave and that I gave. Once you see it, you, you feel compelled to become part of the mission. And I think that it had that effect on just about everybody that has ever seen it before. The new film is called Sharkwater Extinction. It's a follow-up of, sh- of sorts to Sharkwater. Uh, it's in theaters right now. And let's talk, we've got a, a few minutes left in this segment. Let's talk about uh, part of the, the, the message of the film, which is shark preservation. But let's talk about the numbers, first of all, because the numbers really are quite shocking. Uh, there are 100 million or more, I mean, you know the, the figures better than I do, but there's more than 100 million sharks being killed every year. 80 million of them, though, they don't really know who's doing it and where the, where the, the product, the shark product, is going. The, the numbers are quite shocking. Absolutely. So between 75 million and 250 million sharks is what they're predicting now a year are slaughtered. And the reason why there isn't an exact number is because most of this is being done illegally mm-hmm. and far off coast places where you just there are no eyes watching what's going on. And a lot of people think, okay, well, you know, I live in Canada or I live in the United States, so I obviously have no ability to impact this whatsoever. But the fact of the matter is is Canada is the largest importer of shark fin outside of Asia, and the U.S. is one of the largest shark fishing nations in the world. And where that product is going, yes, a lot of it is going to shark fin, but it's also, as Rob said, ending up on our plates. Mm -hmm. There's 18 different names for shark in English, and Reggie can tell you there's dozens of different names in Spanish, too, because they don't want you knowing that you're eating shark. Five million shark, at least, are being killed for squalene, which is liver oil, and that's ending up in your day-to-day products. You know, you have shark potentially in your lipstick, in your deodorants, in your sunscreens. You know, you're feeding shark to your pets. You're watering your plants, and you're putting fertilizer in, and it contains shark as well. If you're eating uh, imitation crab, surimi, a lot of that has shark too. And that is the shocking thing, and that is what this movie is about, is, is yes, there's shark finning, and now there is a demand for shark well beyond that. The Oceana Institute just did a study where they discovered that about 44% of the fish that you eat, whether it's at home or you're ordering it in a restaurant, isn't what you think it is. So you say, I'll have the tilapia, and you're getting something that may look like that, but it's certainly, it, 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 there's a 44% chance that it's not. And there's something called Escobar, mm-hmm. uh, which has been declared toxic in Japan. There's a number of countries that say, now we're not going to sell it. And apparently that is now one of the biggest selling sort of illegal fish out there as well. It's an unbelievable story that we don't know what we're eating all the time. Exactly. One out of two times is about it. One out of two times, That is incredible. I mean, that number is staggering, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Like, you have a 50% chance of knowing what you're actually putting into your body. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Brock Cahill. We're going to find out what a preservation tactician is. Uh, We'll talk to Reggie Domingo. I want to talk about growing up on the Mediterranean Sea and how that sort of influenced the the rest of your life. And Julie, I want to talk about being... uh, an account or like an advertising executive and how that skill, you know, from the boardroom to the, to, uh, the ocean, um, how they overlap. Uh, and we'll do that in uh, our conversation about shark water extinction. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Sharkwater Extinction is the name of a new documentary by the late filmmaker, Rob Stewart. 
In 2006, he released Shark Water, made history with the largest opening weekend of any Canadian documentary ever, and was the most award-winning documentary of the year, winning awards at film festivals around the world. Uh, the new film is a follow-up of sorts. Uh, the sad news is that Rob Stewart passed away while making the film uh, on a dive in Florida. The good news, though, uh, if we can take some away from this, is that the work that he started in terms of shark preservation and shark knowledge uh, continues with this film, and and uh, the message is still getting around. Uh, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, I'm not I'm not exactly sure when it was. We've had hundreds of guests through here. Uh, we had Rob Stewart in, and we talked about sharks, and we talked about uh, people's ideas about sharks and all that sort of thing. And, and throughout the show, I'm just going to play you uh, little bits of that interview. Here's uh, Rob Stewart. I've been swimming with sharks since I was a kid um, and had a fascination from a very young age. Sharks were like dragons and dinosaurs, but they were actually here and they were real. Um, and I became a wildlife photographer and a marine biologist when I was 18, 19, 20. And one of my first photo assignments as a photographer was to photograph hammerhead sharks in the Galapagos Islands, which should be the most protected place on the planet. Mm -hmm. And instead of sharks in this marine reserve, there was a fishing line that would stretch from Earth to outer space and hundreds of dead sharks. And, and that just has stayed with you ever since. Yeah, I, yeah, I quickly realized, and, and the scientific community told me, and as we under, undertook this adventure to try to make a movie, that sharks were being decimated all over the world, and nobody cared because everyone was afraid of sharks. And championing the sharks was like championing the plague, you know? Right. And so as long as people had this fear, we weren't going <laughs> to fight for their protection. I'm going to throw a question out to each of you. One of the things... Uh, that catches people about shark water and I think shark water extinction as well is the underwater photography is absolutely beautiful. And, you know, we see it on the screen and it's, and it stays with you. It's, it lights up your imagination about what it must be like, but you've all done it. <laughs> Tell me what it's like to be down there. Reggie, I can start with you. What's it like to be down there? And, and these sharks, you're not in a cage. You are, is it called free swimming with sharks? Is free. that, sure, we can call it that. Uh, but there's, there's or free diving. Uh, but there, there's no cages around you, and you're coming in contact with them. Yeah. Describe that feeling to me. Well, for me, sharks are just hypnotizing. Like, you can never be tired of being underwater with them. Every day you learn something, all of them are different. It's like birds. There's more than 500 uh species of sharks and each one of them are totally different they behave different they are like beings you know like you see little souls on them and um it's an amazing experience that i welcome everybody to do because once you are underwater with them you can understand better that they are another species that eats in this earth as we are and they are not interested on us. They are like really selected hunters, you know, like they they don't just prey because of, you know, like they are not um, egoist as humans and they are beautiful. They are masterpieces of nature and you just fall in love with them. And the much you are underwater, the much you want to be there. It's like. Well, Ju Julie, in the film, uh, there is one shark, and, and Rob describes the eyes as soulful. Or Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, you see it in the film because the photography, you get an up-close and personal look at this. Tell me what it's like. It is absolutely incredible. And, you know, I didn't necessarily grow up with, shark, uh, with the same kind of fascination that Rob had for sharks. I grew up very similar to most other folks, right? I was terrified of sharks. Mm -hmm. And even when I became a diver, I never wanted to meet a shark. 
And finally, after diving for about 10 years, I came encounter with a shark by myself. Um, I was at about 15 feet of water all by myself, just kind of hanging out, diving. And I just felt this presence next to me. And I looked, and there was a hammerhead shark. She was larger than I was, within arm's length. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm dead. And then in that shark's eyes, I saw life, not death. And I realized that that shark was more afraid of me than I was of it. And I came up to the surface, and I, I almost didn't believe it had happened, but my, my father and my brother had seen it. And I just I became addicted to that moment. And I think that's what it is, is once you get into the water with a shark, and I've taken so many people to meet sharks, it's kind of like the, the crack for mm-hmm. conservationists because you get to experience that feeling again, that amazing feeling. Once you meet a shark for the first time, your life changes for sure. And I mean, surfers, people who are terrified of sharks, every single person I've taken into the water has that same exact experience where you realize, wow, here is this amazing creature that you've been told all your life you need to fear, and you actually don't need to fear it. And in their eyes, you see intelligence, you see cognitive ability, you know that sharks have social structures, and they have personalities. And that's really cool. Brock, there are shots in the film where uh, a shark will will swim by one of you, and you just sort of give it a little push, push it out of the way. Yeah. It's, it's a gentle movement, but it surprised me. Yeah, it, and in fact, you don't really even have to put your hands on the animal. Uh, you know, the truth of the matter is they're so energetic that they can feel your energy, and if you just give them a little energetic push and say, uh, that's close enough, they will respect that, and they can, they can reciprocate that to you. They'll let you know if you're getting a little bit too close, and they'll push you back energetically <laughs> a little bit. And so it's really interesting. So as the girls mentioned, it's, it's absolutely exhilarating to be swimming with sharks, but it, for me, also extremely calming. Because the energy with the, the shark puts into the water column, you can have a chance to reciprocate. You can have a chance to sense that as well. Sharks have two other senses besides the ones that human beings are given credit for having, but I believe we have them as well. They're extrasensory perceptions. They're, they're energy receptors. And sharks have them across the front of their snout. You know, they're called the ampullae of Lorenzini and then down the side of their body called lateral lines. And they can feel magnetic shifts and energetic shifts in the water. I believe we can do the same thing. So when we can start to communicate through that kind of energy with a shark, it's an amazing, amazing experience. What was it like the first time? Oh, the first time it was almost a shit your pants kind of thing. Excuse me, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but you know, um, like Julie said, you don't know what to expect because you've been raised on this myth that these are man-eating beasts that have no soul and black eyes and are coming to get you out of a horror movie. Truth is that they couldn't be farther from the reality of things. But the first time, you're like, oh, my goodness. And when you survive it, and then you look, and you see, oh, my gosh, that shark has blue eyes. It's not black. And there is more life in it than death. And all it wants to do is be curious about you, maybe trade a little bit of energy, and go on about its business. When we come back, we'll continue talking about the movie Sharkwater Extinction with my guests, Brock Cahill, Reggie Domingo, and Julie Anderson. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. In studio, we have three people connected to Shark Water Extinction. That's the third film from the late documentary filmmaker Rob Stewart. Uh, Brock Cahill is here. He's the founder of Sea Change. Reggie Domingo, the executive director and founder of the Knockaway Project, conservationist and also filmmaker. And Julie Anderson is the founder of Shark Angels. And we've been talking about sharks about your first time swimming with them without a cage, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I want to bring in Rob Stewart uh, again from an interview that we did a few years ago uh, and just sort of set up this next segment. 
Jaws is one of the worst things that's ever happened to sharks. Because it's a good movie. It's a great movie. <laughs> but, it, but it came out at a time when we knew literally nothing about sharks. Yeah. You know, so when Jaws came out, it was the documentary. Okay, that's what sharks are like. They're mm-hmm. menacing predators of people. And so after that, people literally went out and tried to kill sharks to save humanity from this vicious beast. And that perception persists today. I grew up on a beach. And the summer that Jaws came out, uh, it was the, that summer was okay. The next summer, when we made our living off of tourists and you know all the people that would come in from all over the world and rent cabins, you could fire a cannon down that beach like nobody went in the ocean for a year or two afterwards. It really made a huge impact on people. Wow. Yeah, and the reality with sharks is radically different. Sharks are sophisticated, intelligent, often shy. We swim in the ocean every year, eight plus billion times, and 60 people on average get bitten by sharks every year with it, five fatalities. Julie, you said earlier that you were afraid of sharks when you first mm-hmm. saw Did Jaws have anything to do with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we used to play Jaws in the pool. <laughs> and, and then you come to realize that it's not that thing at all. Yes. Once you meet a shark, you come to realize, wow, this is not at all like what I've been told. And then you start questioning, well, what else was I told that wasn't right? Now, you used to run an advertising agency. How do or how does that overlap with the work that you're doing now? You know, it's really interesting. Rob had a saying, if you take what you're passionate about and you smash that together with what you're talented at, you're going to live a life that is going to be far beyond your expectations and just a life of passion. And that's exactly what happened for me is, is once I saw Sharkwater and met Rob, I thought, wow, you know, I think what sharks need is a great PR rep. And what I can do is take my advertising skills and I can I can try and become a positive kind of influencer of people's opinions of sharks. So within uh, a month of meeting Rob, I sold my ad agency, sold my business, sold my car and basically changed my life completely. It it is a radical change. I mean, that's not just on the weekends. I'll show up and. Yeah. And, and that is the power of Rob, right, and Rob's movies. And I am not unique. There are so many people who have come up and said the same exact thing to me, that Rob made those changes in their lives, too, just because they believed, like Rob did, that, you know, they could do something to change the world and change the ocean. And what is Shark Angels? Shark Angels is a nonprofit that basically is just that, right? We're trying to change um, people's opinions of sharks. So we do a lot of uh, media counter to Jaws, counter to Shark Week. And really, you know, like we do a lot of work on Shark Week programs too. And it's amazing to like watch the footage that's being shot when you see it on Shark Week and then you see the footage and you take away the music and you take away the drama. It's a completely different scenario. It's peaceful. It's beautiful. It's just an incredible interaction. And so we also do quite a bit with um, legislation. So Fin Free, we worked very heavily with Rob to change legislation to protect sharks, and we do that all around the world. And then finally, education, right? The next generation. These are the these are the folks that really get that there's nothing extra in nature and that we need to take care of our planet. And, you know, this is their future in their hands. And so we do a lot with children. And Reggie, you started the Knockaway Project. You grew up on the ocean, so I guess maybe it was Uh, a given that you were going to someday work in and around it. Uh, But what exactly is the Nakaway? Nakaway Project is a non-profit organization I founded just after a really crazy experience. And it was being a volunteer in Cocos Island with the National Park and the park rangers there, pulling up like long lines. Um, And this was because I've seen shark water and I wanted to do something. And I was like, dude, like, 
what's going on, where it's, it, it's going on. And in the Mediterranean, it was not that and, many And long sharks. lines are those enormous nets that are yeah. that, that sort of trap whatever in them. Like they're not specifically fishing for one thing. Whatever gets caught yeah. in them, gets caught in them, right? They they can catch sea turtles. Uh, they can catch tuna. They mm-hmm. can catch sharks. Um, and yeah, I mean, Nakawa Project just came out after living this strong experience because I was like... I mean, I'm from Spain. What I can do now? I'm not just gonna be back from Costa Rica to Spain to my normal life, mm-hmm. and and that's all. I I couldn't I couldn't be back to my normal life. So Nakawa Project tends to be a non-profit where we want to include everyone. We want everyone using their skills and putting these people together that has energy and passion and also like trying to guide them on how we can make conservation work. Because if you really look back. We made amazing things, but it's not enough, and we are really losing the race. So the idea is to include more countries, you know, more creative ideas, young people, and and yeah, trying to work with communities. This is what it moves me because when you are in in different countries, you understand that all of these news that are just statistics are humans, and these humans um, see things different than you see because I mean, it's their life, it's their culture sometimes, and the things doesn't mean the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to create a new movement where we also can put together people from other countries with communities to try to teach them new things and maybe empower them to work in ecotourism, make them lose fear to sharks because most of the fishermen are afraid of sharks. And this is because they are only seeing the bad part of when they are pulled out of the water and they are fighting for their life. So, yeah, that's pretty much what it's Nakawa Project, and I hope that it's going to be growing and growing uh, with years. And, Brocken, you're the founder of Sea Change. Tell yes. me about Sea Change. Well, the Sea Change Agency is a, another nonprofit organization that's founded through the inspiration of Robbie and, and through his work. As you can see, he ignited a lot of fires to get people to stand up and, and try to, to put their heart and their light in places where it matters and... The Sea Change Agency is one that I started in the wake of the Gulf oil spill uh, in 2010, about eight years ago. There was uh, a lot of environmental degradation going down, and, and there was these burn boats that were collecting oil on the surface of the Gulf of Mexico and burning endangered sea turtles alive. So uh, it was, this is another one of those things that was just heartbreaking, and I couldn't stand by and watch it. So I went down and got on, involved in, in the project to, to stop these burn boats and make sure that observers were put on board and they weren't going to be killing these endangered species. And through that process, learned a whole lot about what was going on in the world, what was going on underneath the cover of the ocean, what was happening beneath the surface. And we continue to work on projects in that direction. And is that what it means when you say you're a preservation tactician? Is I know what preservation is. I know what a tactician is. You bang it together, and it's essentially that, right? That, there you go, buddy. You know, you nailed it. Like, obviously, uh, one of Rob's great quotes is, conservation is the preservation of human life on this planet, and that above all else is worth fighting for. So, you know, conservation is one word that means a certain thing. That means kind of managing species to help them along. Preservation is almost the opposite. It's like letting nature handle it rather than us getting involved in that process. And if we can pull back and allow nature to do its thing and maybe take our influence out of it as much as is possible, that would be one thing. So 
in order to put these tactics in play, you know, we got to find a way to be preservation tacticians, to maybe extract ourselves from nature and let nature come back to being wild. We only have a minute, but I, I know uh, that Reggie and uh, grew up on the ocean. You have lived in California for a long time on the ocean. Julie, you were living in New York when you saw shark water. Are you... Yeah, and I grew up in Chicago, so I was so, pretty landlocked. Well, it, but here's the thing. I grew up in the ocean as well, directly mm-hmm. on the ocean, and you realize the power of the ocean when you are looking at it every day. And, you know, when you go down and, like, walk along the beach and, and see uh, the, the never-ending and always shifting sort of tone of what goes on in the ocean, it really does feel powerful. And and I... I, I you know, the, what struck me about what you just said is letting nature kind of figure it out, allowing, you know, nature to take its own course is probably the right way to go because it's done really well for millions of years. For long before we were here, that's mm-hmm. very true. It's just the hard part is getting our influence extracted out of that equation at this point. We're, we're neck deep, you know, so we have to figure a way to do that. And, and I do believe that the planet and nature will find a way to mm-hmm. succeed we may or may not be part of that equation when that remains to be seen. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation about shark water extinction. It's in theaters this weekend. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In the studio, we have Brock Cahill, founder of Sea Change. Reggie Domingo is the executive director and founder of the Knockaway Project. And Julie Anderson is the founder of Shark Angels. One of the things that they all have in common, other than doing good work in terms of of preserving the sea and the life in the sea, is working with Rob Stewart, the late director of a new film called Sharkwater Extinction. Uh, Perhaps you've seen Sharkwater. It was one of the biggest grossing uh, documentaries in Canadian history. And it really started a movement in terms of preserving sharks and, and, uh, and knowledge about sharks and, and the way that the world sort of has treated uh, these, these creatures that sort of predate almost everything on the planet. Um, Rob Stewart, before his, his passing in January of 2017, uh, was in studio, and we've been playing you clips from that interview. I've got one more I want to play, and then we'll talk a little bit more about shark water extinction. Why do they come after humans at all on the, on the very rare occasion that they do? Because we dress up like shark food and go swimming in areas where they hunt. And we've wiped out 90% of the fish in the ocean. So if you're a shark and you're looking for food, you've got nothing to find. When you look at the shark bites that do happen every year, it's very rare that flesh is removed. It's very rare that a shark eats somebody. Like the case of a shark eating a human being doesn't really exist in, in recent years. So that's a testament to the fact that sharks aren't interested in eating us. They've been eating things that live in the ocean for 400 million years. And when they bite and they get human, they realize that's not something that they want. They're like, mm. I don't yeah, like it. Yuck. It's like me with uh, Brussels sprouts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the voice of Rob Stewart talking about uh, sharks and how rare it is for a shark to uh, attack a human. What else do we get wrong about sharks? We've talked about this just a, a little bit earlier on, but Reggie, tell me something that, that people think that's wrong about sharks. There's so much mythology around them. Mm, people, they just think they are monsters. Mm-hmm. And I really see closer to monsters, humans, and sharks. Sharks are just really angels of the sea. Like, (laughs) they just come around, look at you, and, I mean, you can even feel, like, a soul behind, you know? Like, you can feel it's it's an animal that it thinks, it behaves, it it acts as, I mean, as other animals, the only thing is that they are misunderstood because of films, because people need and wants to have monsters in their lives, Mm -hmm. and... 
and they also they don't look pretty like sympathetic you know they they have sometimes like aggressive uh faces but in fact that's cool and that's um sexy i think sharks are super sexy and <laughs> and this is what i love of them that all of them are different the different species behave completely different they live in different areas in different ecosystems they have different diets and that's what we need to understand there's sometimes where you should not swim with a shark if the water is murky or if it's sunset or sunrise and it's a you know a feeding area this is the the ideas or the education we need out there to tell the people there is a moment where you can coexist with them with them and there is a moment where we need to understand it's it's their home you know it's well, like not everything, ours there's rules there's rules to everything uh julie you is know, there something we don't understand about them i think so um when you tell people 150 million sharks are killed a year they say wow i didn't know that And then they look at you and they say, so what? Why should we care? The only good shark is a dead shark. And I think love them or hate them, we need sharks on the planet. Yes. And I don't think enough people understand the role that sharks play in the oceans, right? They've been on this planet for 450 million years, keeping our largest and most important ecosystem healthy. If we remove sharks, we're not only endangering the oceans, we're endangering ourselves. Because the oceans give us you know, more air than all the rainforests combined. They're our best defense against global warming, so they take out about 40% of the atmosphere's CO2. They control our weather and also our climate. It's just absolutely insane to me that people think that they can remove sharks and there's not going to be global consequences. Brock, is there something that you'd like to share there? Yeah, I agree with what Julie said. They really are the architects of what's gone on in this planet through every major extinction up to this point. But there's so much we don't understand about sharks, and one being that we can't affect their populations. As Julie mentioned, some of the numbers, up to 150 million sharks per year are pulled out of the water, and, and people think, oh, that's okay. It's just a sustainable resource. They're just going to continue to you know, procreate, and we'll just have sharks in the ocean. It's just not the case. We've fished up to 99.9% of some species out of the water. They are on the brink of extinction and on the brink of collapse. And... Like Julie says, again, we need these guys, you know, like if they're going to continue to allow this planet to be inhabitable for us and all species, we've got to let them swim. And Reggie, you mentioned that, you know, you said they're sexy. You know, that, what's lovable about them? Rob said in the film that he wants people to love sharks. And I, and I get the sort of the, the overarching thing because they're good for the planet and, and all that. But what is lovable about them? Wow, that's a hard question. What is not lovable about them? <laughs> I mean, it, they are perfectly shaped. Like their form and their their bodies are just amazing. They are like torpedoes. Some of them are super fast. Some of them have like, you know, um, different type of skins. They have a lot of teeth, you know, that they are re renewing uh, under their li and during their life. I mean, they are masterpieces of nature. I mean, it's it's an incredible species and it can be around you and you should you just feel so tiny and you understand, oh, I'm just a human. And we thought that we were or we think or some people think that they are more um strong than them or that they can just wipe them out and that's all. And it's not. I mean, I really believe um there's going to be this moment where not where it's going to give us a lesson and they give me lessons like i've never seen a shark acting egoist in the water 
and I've seen humans doing it. And I've never seen a shark just fighting with another shark just because, and humans <laughs> do it. So I think they are just incredible species that we need to learn a lot of lessons out of. I think in the, in the last few minutes that we have left, uh, we're talking about the film Shark Water Extinction. And I think that uh, the film obviously teaches us lessons about sharks and, and gives us some facts and figures and all that sort of thing. But I think that the, the overarching thing about this movie isn't so much the message about sharks. It's there, but it's the message about the passion that Rob Stewart had to save the sharks. That, to me, is the kind of important part of this film. And so we've got a few minutes left. I just wanted to hear from each of you what you learned from him, you know, because each of you have quoted something from him, like verbatim, you know, quotes and that kind of thing. So it was more than just like, hey, it's my pal and we're going to go diving. There's, there was something more to it than that. And Brock, I'll start with you. Well, yeah, Robbie was a brilliant teacher of sorts, and as we've all mentioned, super inspirational. And I, you know, this film, of course, is a tribute to his ability to instigate a revolution of sorts, and uh, it's a tribute to a life very well lived. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, sharks might not be your passion, but Rob would teach you, find what is and go out there and make a difference because of it. We all have the ability to do so on this planet. We all, in fact, have the responsibility to leave it in a better place than where we found it. So I think that that is a wonderful legacy to leave behind. And I think that anybody who sees this film and sees this young man's passion to do just that can't help but be inspired by him. Truly? Wow, I've learned an awful lot from Rob. I would say probably the biggest thing I learned from Rob was just this eternal sense of optimism Regardless of what he'd seen in the field, everything he'd witnessed, all of these horrible atrocities to the creatures that he loved, he still remained optimistic. He still loved humankind, and he believed that we had the power to change, and he believed that we would. And I think that was just something so beautiful and something just, you know, that was a call to action in and of itself because you can get very, dis you know, disillusioned as a conservationist. I mean, we're all surrounded by dead sharks far more often than we're surrounded by live sharks. And to see this man just smile with that beautiful smile and just kind of lead that inspirational moment where he just said, you know, we're going to do this. You believe that we would, and you knew that we would do it together with Rob, and that was definitely what he taught me. Reggie, what did you learn from him? Well, I met so many beautiful humans, thanks of Rob. So I think that what I've learned is that there's no only one hero, but there's these leaders and heroes out there that put others together and they bring you hope, you know. I just I just met him and I was like, oh man, thanks Earth, you know, for bringing me this type of humans in front of me and I'm not alone, you know. I There's this type of people out there wanting to do things together and really together we can really make a difference. We just need more people talking about it. We need the message out now more than ever. And he had this power of, of putting like amazing, beautiful people together like with so much energy, unique, beautiful energy. And and he has this charisma, you know, he was a a loving human. I, I think that he was one of the persons or humans I've met with more love inside. And it's interesting because I think that might end up being the message of the film, 
more so than the facts and the figures. I mean, they're important. Right. It's important to know those. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, uh, I, I, I've seen the film and I couldn't remember whether it was 80 million or 50 million. The numbers are staggering. That's what you, you, you walk away from, knowing that the numbers are staggering. But I guess that the important thing is that there's something that can be done about it. Exactly. I think that's the thing, right? Rob is not gone. His legacy lives on in all of us. If we all just do one thing, one thing to make this world a better place and we take less or we give more than what we take from this planet, imagine how beautiful beautiful it will be. You know, I mean, every time that we say no to a straw or we say, gosh, where was this fish caught and is it labeled correctly? Or we vote for legislation that protects something we love. Rob's legacy lives on in all of us. The film is called Shark Water Extinction. It's in theaters right now. It is uh, the third film from uh, documentary filmmaker Rob Stewart. Uh, and check it out. It's a, a film that is um, good for the world, but also uh, a very human story about someone uh, who tried and succeeded in making a difference. And even though he's not here to see the results of that work, uh, the work hasn't stopped yet. Uh, my thanks to guest Brock Cahill. Thank you for coming in, uh, Reggie Domingo and Julie Anderson. Uh, be sure to join us again next week, and my thank to Nick on the board.